Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to talk about power, control, and sexuality. But before we jump into that, let me remind you that uh, there are opportunities beyond the PeaceWorks podcast for you if you're interested. And uh, the one that I want to draw your attention to is PeaceWorks University. PeaceWorks University is our online membership site, and we have a vault of past material uh, there at PeaceWorks University uh, that you can take part of, you can be a part of, Uh, We have an online community, uh, private Facebook group, toolbox items, a variety of resources uh, that drop every month for PeaceWorks University members. So if you are enjoying the PeaceWorks podcast, if you're benefiting from the content that we discuss here every week, uh, then be sure to run over to PeaceWorks University. Uh, You can find out more about PeaceWorks University at chrismoles.org. Hey, let's jump into today's topic today. Uh, We've been getting some questions revolving around abuse and sex in marriage. So I want to take time in our podcast today to talk a little bit about that, hopefully add some clarity and um, distinguish a few things that may help you, especially if you're a people helper uh, wrestling with this. So the question came in, I'm going to read one of these to you that came in, I thought this one was particularly helpful uh, and telling to kind of set the stage. The questioner writes, in what ways might a husband's abuse of power and control affect his sexual relationship with his wife? If the wife feels objectified and hurt by her husband, how might she respond to her husband's sexual advances? It's an interesting question for a couple reasons. Um, one is, you know, my place and, and many of our places in the evangelical church. I have, I have found over the years or felt over the years that in many of our church cultures, sub-church cultures, uh, denominational cultures, we have developed kind of a, an unhealthy or perhaps even an unbiblical view of marriage. Now, I want to be careful here because I know one of the criticisms leveled against me is that I, I don't take my time in discussions like this, or um, sometimes I'm viewed as cheapening marriage. And, and I want you to know that I love marriage. I believe that the Bible is um, very clear on the expectations of marriage. I believe that God designed marriage uh, and that Christian marriage, marriage within the context of uh, believers committed to Jesus Christ and committed to one another, uh, is the proper prescription. I mean, I do support marriage. Now, unfortunately, in saying that, I also want to acknowledge that within the Christian subculture, in many ways, there's been an unhealthy attachment to marriage as an institution, I think, not as Uh, trying to preserve or support or bolster God-honoring marriages, but 
I guess, preserve the societal institution of marriage above all. I guess, here's what I'm getting at. The question, I think, presupposes some of these cultural aspects of marriage that are very, very unique, I think, to the Christian worldview. Some might say, and I would be in this camp, that in many ways the institution of marriage has been elevated to an idolatrous status. So let's juxtapose the two. Christian marriage, uh, a Galatians, uh, I mean, excuse me, an Ephesians 5 kind of marriage where marriage is a mirror reflecting the image of Christ's love for his church. Marriage designed by God where two people are committed first to Jesus Christ and his kingdom and then subsequently committed to each other as a means of drawing glory to God and goodness for themselves is something that I support wholly. Marriage as an institution propped up as a faux representation of what God designed it to be while the individuals in the marriage suffer under this idealized image of a system is something that I would oppose. I think we need to be honest about marriage, the complexities of marriage, the problems in marriage, and even the idolatry of marriage. This might be uh, running the risk of being misunderstood. I I hope I'm being clear in my love for marriage, but my, um, at the same time, you know, disdain for propping the institution of marriage up as an idol, as something that is higher or more of more value than the people involved in the marriage. And I don't think pastors or churches or counselors or any of us in the evangelical world really state that uh, overtly, come out and say, you know, we care more about preserving the image of marriage than we do the people in the marriage. But I think inadvertently we do that when we place marriage as marriage maintenance above marriage commitment or marriage health. So if there is this idolatry of marriage, then in our subculture, is it not then true that if marriage is an idol, that sex has become in many ways the sacrament or the sacrifice to that idol? Think of it this way. The children of Israel, as Moses is receiving the commands from God, the children of Israel construct a golden calf uh, for, for whatever reason, but we do view it as an image of idolatry. They construct the golden calf, which many would say would usher in the presence of a God, and they don't have a very clear picture of the God, and they are hearkening back to their days in Egypt by constructing this golden calf and then they are dancing and celebrating and and trying to conjure up um, this deity that would ride the golden calf or inhabit the golden calf, however, however it was the case. Is it possible that in some of our idolatrous, idolatrous views of marriage, sex is the sacrifice by which we produce health or um, maintenance or um, sustainability. I guess I haven't got to the question yet, but 
I guess I just want to clearly state that I think I've seen this so much in working in the Christian subculture, which I love. I love. I'm evangelical. I'm biblical. Um, but I have seen many in our camp elevate marriage without taking into consideration the people in the marriage. And they've elevated sexual activity in marriage as a right and an entitlement and even a need that supersedes the health of the marriage or, in some cases, uh, produces a healthy marriage. And I just think that's possibly a backwards view of, of sex in marriage. Now, I say all that to say this. I am reading that into the question when the questioner says, in what ways might a husband's abuse of power and control affect his sexual relationship with his wife, my first gut response is, in every way. Let me read it again. In what ways might a husband's abuse of power and control affect his sexual relationship with his wife? Again, my gut response is, in every way. But I think there is an undercurrent in the question where many of us in the church have assumed that sexual intimacy supersedes emotional and relational stability. Now, let me pause for a second. I want to be very clear again that when I talk about things like this, it is in the context of abuse. I'm, I'm speaking in areas of domestic abuse. The PeaceWorks podcast is about domestic abuse. And I'm not talking about normal marital, marital conflict. I understand that in normal marriage counseling, there's issues of sexual intimacy. I've done enough marriage counseling to know that in marriage and in Christian marriages, we're going to talk about things like regularity and frequency and high desire and low desire, and that they are not necessarily abusive. But in the context of our question today and the context of our discussion, we're starting from a place of abuse. If power and control is present, that's the question, right? In what ways does a husband's abuse of power and control affect their sexual relationship? And I believe it affects in every way. Because sexual relations, they can be in marriage uncomfortable, they can be awkward, they can be um, disappointing, and that is just a part of being married. But when abuse is present, an abuse of power and control, then sexual intimacy does take on uh, a different meaning and aspect and complexity. And it is very possible, if not probable, that you're, if you're a husband who uses emotional abuse and threats of physical abuse, uh, and you expect sexual intimacy as some kind of entitlement or right that you should anticipate resistance. And I think it's actually a good thing to resist you. Why would your partner want to be sexually intimate with you if you are dangerous? Sexual activity in marriage is intended to be safe, not just in the moment of sexual activity. Sexual safety is not just about um, the absence of rapacious behavior in the bedroom. Sexual safety goes beyond that. If you're abusive, 
controlling, belittling, destructive, then it will affect your sexual relationships with your partner. I know I'm overstating the point again and again and again, but I'm not sure it can be overstated. Because again, if, if for many, let's say, Christian women, they have experienced a cultural phenomena that appears to be marriage idolatry, that marriage is um, everything, that it is an idol that we worship at the feet at, then sex has become the sacrifice that we make in order to sustain that idol. And what we need is not more lectures or workshops on sex and marriage for couples in the throes of abuse. Please hear me again on that. We're talking about abuse. But we need godly examples and constructs of what marriage is versus what the idol is. I hope this is clear. I hope I'm articulating this well. The second part of the question. So the first part of the question, how does power and control affect a husband's sexual relationship with their wife? In every way, I think, is the answer. The second, how might a wife who has been objectified or victimized respond to her husband's sexual advances? Again, I'm assuming a lot in the question. And why I have stepped on the soapbox in this podcast of the ways in which we as evangelicals, I think, have presented this poorly or, or not robust and nuanced enough, and I think we can do a much better job here, is because within this question, I hear a wife's desire to honor God and honor her marriage vows and, and do her duty and be responsible, and maybe I'm overemphasizing it, maybe I am making an assumption, but how might a wife respond to her husband's sexual advances when she's been victimized and hurt by power and control? And I will give you a few. Some uh, you will find uh, less pleasing, I think. Some will make perfect sense, but I, I think one way that victims have responded, and I don't recommend this, uh, but I'm not in your situation. Many victims have responded um, with an affirmative by having sex with their husband. And for some of us, we pull back and we go, that's appalling. Why would you do that? And the answer is multifaceted. Perhaps a victim will respond in the affirmative to a husband's uh, an abusive husband's sexual advances because of fear. Maybe they're afraid of what will happen if they don't comply. And I think we have to honor that. I really think we have to at least respect that choice, and that choice belongs to her. I think, too, a victim can respond with an affirmative out of hope that perhaps this will be a, an effective means of reducing the abuse. Maybe the intimacy will connect us in such a way that we'll overcome this. There's a mutualizing that happens uh, with, with that. Perhaps they respond with an affirmative because of their own sexual desires. Um, to, to, to meet a 
desire within themselves. I don't think we can judge a victim of abuse who responds in the affirmative, even though we see the complexities of the problem and we see um, how hurtful and hurt, uh, the hurt you must be experiencing at the hands of your husband. So she may respond with an affirmative. She may respond with an, a negative. And I think we have to honor that decision and recognize that that is an appropriate response. I think that's the, hard, the harder um, argument because so many of, us, many of us have been taught that 1 Corinthians chapter 7 teaches wives in particular um, that they cannot say no to sexuality, to sexual advances. You may be familiar with the passage I'm talking about, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul talks about the issue of not denying your partner sexual activity only for the purposes of prayer. Now, of course, that same passage, he talks about abandonment and being called to peace. And I, I think one thing that we miss in that passage is that um, while I may or my partner may um, be compelled to say, you know, my body does not belong to me, you know, my body belongs to you and your body belongs to me, I don't think that takes choice out of the picture. If you're experiencing abuse at the hands of an intimate partner, and the sexual advances are contributing to unsafe uh, intimacy, then I believe you have every right to say, no thank you, not tonight. Now, there will or may be consequences. That's why I said in the, the first response may be a yes. A victim may say yes to sexual advances, to placate their partner, to satisfy their own desires, to attempt out of an effort of hope to secure and advance the intimacy, but that partner may also say no and may do so with, I think, a clear conscience to say, um, we cannot come together while I'm living in fear. And understand as a people helper, you may in fact encounter um, situations where an individual is sexually unsafe. So she may respond with a yes, she may respond with a no, or she may respond with a not yet. And perhaps it could be an opportunity to advance the, the process and seek help, help that could address some of the other issues uh, that are contributing to the problem. Now I've spent about 18 or 19 minutes walking through a very simple response to a complex problem. So as we land the plane for this podcast, I want to be very clear. This conversation is not ironclad advice. And only you know the, the experiences of your own relationship. If you are a victim you know your sexual and physical safety far better than I ever will. And if you are in an environment where you are sexually unsafe because of prior and consistent 
abuses of power in your relationship, would you consider seeking help in a safe manner? If you are a husband who has used power and control, if you recognize that your partner has been living in fear and you are frustrated by your sexual relationship, would you take a moment to self-reflect and ask the question, has my behavior in our day-to-day relationship created a climate that is sexually unsafe? And if any part of you can affirm that statement, would you consider seeking help? acknowledging where your relationship has been unsafe and that as such your sexual relationship may be unsafe. Things that can contribute to this, um, things like uh, marital uh, unfaithfulness, uh, pornography use, uh, other sexual sins, if they are present in your relationship or in your own heart and behavior, must also be addressed in order to establish sexual safety. You know, as I reflect back, even myself, thinking about the time that we've spent together on the podcast, we have not even scratched the surface. And again, I want to reiterate, if you find yourself in a marriage relationship where sex is obligatory, or in a climate of fear or threat and is a top-down prospect that is existing in a climate of an abuse of power, then would you consider reaching out to a counselor, a friend, or someone that you can walk through this reality with? And again, if you're perpetrating acts that are creating a climate where safe is unsafe, sex is unsafe for your partner, would you seek help as well? Thank you guys for listening to the PeaceWorks podcast. I hope in part that this discussion has been helpful. I appreciate you guys so much. If you appreciate what you're hearing on the PeaceWorks podcast, would you uh, rate and, and review and let your um, the platform by which you listen to the podcast know how much you appreciate Uh, the PeaceWorks podcast. Thank you guys again for being part. Uh, We appreciate you so much. Until next time, God bless.